My name is Matt Dietz, and I am the high school director here, and I have the lovely high school sitting over there. Thank you. That was a pity clap, but that's okay. Uh, but I'm very excited to be here preaching with you all this morning and just being able to share in the Word of God with you. Well, we're continuing this morning in our series on grace. Wow, that was good. It's like everybody knew it. Like they could read my mind. So we're continuing this series on grace, and we're in part seven. And today we're going to be talking about God's restoring grace and exactly what that looks like and how it really impacts us as believers in Christ. But before we get to that, I want to talk briefly about something that most of us probably don't like talking about. Most of us will probably go out of our way to admit that that even happens in our lives. Most of us who we do these things, but we fail to recognize them. Or when people ask us about them, we deny that they exist. These things that I like to talk about are our mistakes. And I know none of us in this room likes talking about our mistakes. What mistakes? I don't have mistakes. I'm perfect, right? We don't like talking about our mistakes because it's not in our nature, because it makes us feel humiliated, makes us feel like somebody's making fun of us. But mistakes are a part of our lives. Each of us has made plenty of mistakes in our lives. Whether it be in the context of your jobs, whether it be with your families, with your friends, with your coworkers, when you think nobody else is looking, but somebody captured on video and posted on YouTube and you have like 30,000 hits now, right? We all have these times and we do make mistakes in our lives. Looking it up, a mistake is defined as the following. An error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment that's caused by poor reasoning, carelessness, or insufficient knowledge. That's, at truth, what a mistake really is. And we all make mistakes in our lives. We don't like to admit it. We don't like to acknowledge that we make mistakes because we want everybody to see us as these perfect holy beings. But making mistakes is a part of our lives. You see, mistakes can leave us with different kinds of emotions and different kinds of feelings as well. When we make mistakes, sometimes we have feelings of regrets where we start to say, oh, I wish that I wouldn't have done that. Sometimes we make mistakes and they leave us with feelings of embarrassment where we say, oops, that was dumb. Sometimes we make mistakes that cause feelings of shame and remorse where you look back and say, I shouldn't have done that. If you guys don't understand what this is, this is a power strip floating on two sandals in a pool. And on top of this table is a blender and I think a microwave or something like that. This was not a youth event, I promise. Um, But this is probably my favorite one, but you think you'd know better. But mistakes can also cause feelings of guilt, where you say, it's all my fault. I'm the one to blame for this. Let this picture sink in for a second. You'll get it in a minute. But it leaves us with feelings of regrets, of embarrassment, shame and remorse, and and guilt. But you see, each of us, we do make mistakes. Mistakes are a part of our daily lives, all kinds of mistakes. But the mistakes that we make with the Lord are more vital and more important than the mistakes we make with each other. You see, if you're human, which I'm assuming most of us in this room are, if you're human, you are going to make mistakes. And you're going to make more mistakes in your lifetime with the Lord than you will with the people that you know or the people that you love the most. You see, when it's somebody you know or somebody you love, you just accept it like, oh, that's okay. They know me. They know that I do these things. It's fine. But when it comes to the Lord, we make these mistakes and we start to see, oh, God's a forgiving God. I can keep mistake, making mistakes again, again, and again, one after another, after another. And we automatically expect that God just poof, makes them all disappear. And so we more freely make mistakes to the Lord and blow them off, not recognizing the seriousness of the consequences of our mistakes. But when it comes to friends and family, it's just, oh, it's a part of life. 
It's who I am. They'll forgive me. But the fact is that we all make mistakes. And the mistakes that we make are the reason why the Lord goes on to say this in Scripture. He says that he makes his mercies new every single morning. It says, great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each and every morning. I thank God for this because I mess up all the time. You can ask Tiffany. You can ask my parents. I mess up all the time. But the one thing that I have that's resounding in my life is knowing that each and every day when I get up, when I open my eyes and I take that first breath in the morning, I know that God has restored me with new mercies. No matter what I had done the day before or the months before, the years before, or what I'm going to do every single day, God refreshes his mercies towards me. And I am so thankful and I am so grateful that God can forgive me in that way. You see, regardless of what it is that we've done wrong, we can always call out to the Lord and say, restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. What an incredible prayer that we can give out to the Lord. You see, we make all kinds of mistakes because it's our human nature. And I think that mistakes are most commonly seen within the context of relationships. A lot of mistakes come through relationships. Your relationship to Jesus is just like any other relationship. You see, relationships, they are always changing. They take time. They take nourishment. They take commitment. And whether you realize it or not, the same thing applies in our relationships with God. God's not going to say, hey, you've accepted me as your Lord and Savior, and that's good. You can just sit there and do nothing for the rest of your life. No, it's going to take nourishment. It's going to take nurturement. It's going to take maturity and growing and reading and getting closer and closer to God in the things that we do. Just like a relationship with your spouse or with your children, it takes time. It takes effort. And it's supposed to be maintained. It's supposed to be nourished. You're either growing closer to a person or you're growing further away from a person. When it comes to understanding relationships, there's a, uh, a phrase or a saying that I like to associate with that. And it's in the context of this picture. And this picture is that you can cross this bridge hundreds of thousands of times, but the water underneath it will never be the same. And looking at relationships, what I mean by this is that from the outside, it may seem to appear being the same thing over and over and over again. But there's always something that's changing. Whether it's a little subtle thing or it be a massive thing, from the outside, everything looks the same, but there's always things that are changing. Something that somebody said, something somebody did, something somebody thought about. And it causes either us to grow closer to one another or to grow further apart from one another. And the same thing applies when we start to look at our relationship with God. We all have our up days and we all have our down days. We have days when we face temptations and trials and days when we win over those temptations and trials. And we have days when we lose. We have days when we make mistakes. But the good news is that no matter what mistakes we make in our lives, God offers to us his restoring grace again and again and again and again. This is made evident through scripture because even King David, he sinned, he committed adultery with Bathsheba against God. But he recognized God's restoring grace. Look what he goes on to say in the book of Psalms. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. You see, when we blow it, when we walk away, when we stumble, God says, you can come back to me and I will restore you. That's what God's restoring grace is all about. And there may be some of you here this morning are saying, well, Matt, you don't know me. You don't know my life. I've messed up so bad that I haven't only sinned against myself, that I've sinned against God. 
that there is no way that God would use this tangled up, messed up, confused life of mine and offer me forgiveness and restoration, that he would offer me grace. And some of you might be saying, yeah, that sounds like me, that I've messed up so bad, there's no reason why God would or he should offer me his restoring grace. What the good news is that God still does, not because he has to, not because he needs to, but because he wants to that God wants to offer his restoring grace to you because he wants to be in a relationship with you. And he knows what it's like to have this human weakness that causes us to stumble. And so he says, I know your weaknesses. I know your frailties. And because of this, I'm going to extend to you grace again and again and again. Can I get an amen? How amazing is that? Amen. It's so amazing to actually think about that. So this morning, we're going to take a look at five different ways in which God offers to us his restoring grace. Even though we sin, even though we turn our backs upon God, even though we stumble and we walk away, God still offers to take us back and offer us his restoring grace. If you look at your notes outline, the first thing is that God offers his restoring grace to us because God's love is unconditional. God's love for us is unconditional. You see, God doesn't say, oh, I love you because you're good, because you're perfect, because you're holy. Ooh, you're handsome. No, God doesn't say, hey, I'm going to love you because you're intelligent, because you're gracious. Hey, you're gorgeous. No. God says, I love you, period. That's it. There's no strings attached to it. God says, I love you. That's it. It's not based off of who you are or what you look like or what you do. He says, I love you. My love for you is unconditional. And this is so important for us to hear day after day and over and over and over again, this phrase that gives us this assurance. And what is that phrase? That phrase is this, that God will never stop loving me. And this is such an important phrase that I want you all to repeat it with me. Ready? God will never stop loving me. Is this something that you truly believe this morning? Or is this something that Matt just made you say from stage? When you really look at your life, do you believe that God will never stop loving you? Or is it, oh, God occasionally loves me. Like I have my good days, I have my bad days. And like when I wake up in the morning and my hair is all, and like my makeup's not on, God definitely doesn't love me those days. Speaking of myself personally, but um, you know, God will never, not sometimes, not partially, not here or there, God will never stop loving me. And this is something that we need to repeat day after day after day, because we see this come true in his restoring grace with us. God will never stop loving us. You see, Paul had several correspondence between himself and the church in Corinth. And if you don't know much about Corinth, Corinth was a very amazing city in lots of different ways. Politically, Corinth was the uh, capital of the Roman province of Achaia, and it included nearly almost the entire territory of Greece during this time. Geographically, Corinth couldn't help do anything but prosper. It was located on this plateau that overlooked this isthmus of Corinth that was about two miles from the Gulf. And being so close to the Gulf, they had a lot of trade coming in and out. So they would get trade from the north and from the south passing through the city of Corinth. But also because of its proximity to the Mediterranean Sea, they would also get trade and travel coming from east to west. So the city of Corinth was this very commercialized hub where it had trade from north, south, east, and west coming through it. And because of this, it was a very luxurious place. They had lots of riches, lots of good, lots of things were going on. But with all of these goods and these riches and these luxuries, people were also bringing their cultures, their religions, and their traditions. So inside the city of Corinth, while it may have looked like this amazing place, it was also a place full of vials and filth. 
a lot of dangerous things that were going on. And so not just these things had to be imported into the city of Corinth. Even in the city of Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, where the prostitutes would come down and roam through the streets during the day to apply their trade. So there was a lot of immorality and filth lying around inside the city of Corinth. And so when Paul writes his letter, known as 1 Corinthians to the, to the Corinthians, he is addressing some of these issues about their unholy lives. Paul says, some of you are living immoral lives. You're idolaters, you're adulterers, you're greeds, you're drunkards, you're slanderers, you're swindlers, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And as he's labeling each and every one of these people, you'd think it's like, oh, well, these are the things that define me. But no, look what Paul goes on to say in the rest of this chapter. And this is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit, our God. The important thing to take away from this, and I highlight it for you, is this. This is what some of you were. You see, Paul says that those past things in your life, they're not what define you. They're not what it is. What was true then is still true now, that God loved believers even before they were believers. God loved believers while they were still sinners. You see, God is in this life-changing business. God wants to change your life. He takes sinners and he turns them into saints. God takes that which is dirty and he cleans it up. God takes that which is broken and he fixes it and he mends it and he heals it. God is in this life-changing business because his love for us is unconditional. Because he wants to show his love to you. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that God works in my life. That he could take this messed up, this tangled, confused lump of clay and build me into this amazing vessel for his kingdom. And he wants to do it freely. Why? I don't deserve it. But because of his unending love, his unceasing love for me, God wants to use each and every one of us. And that's what God does because he's in this life-changing business. He wants to change your life. He wants to show you unconditional love. He knows exactly what he got when he chose you. He knows exactly what he got when he picked us up. He knows exactly what he got when he invited us to join his family. He knows exactly what he got and what condition we were in when he chose us. And yet he still chose us. Think about that. When you go to the supermarket and you're looking at the aisle full of fruit and you're like, ooh, this one's pretty, ooh, that one's disgusting. I would never pick that one. But God sees us in how our true state is. And he says, you know what? It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you've been through. I'm still gonna love you and I'm still gonna choose you. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of unconditional love that our God shows to us again and again and again. Look what the passage says in Lamentations. It says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Once again, the highlighted important word here is this word never. It says his love never ends. God's mercies never cease. And that's hard for us to understand in this context. He says that my love for you is never gonna end. I'm gonna offer it to you again and again and again and again and again with no strings attached. See, God does not reject us because we sin, but because God is faithful because God is merciful, because God is just. He says, yeah, you're in sin, but I'm gonna pick you up and I'm going to restore you because I want to have a relationship with you because that's the kind of loving God that we serve. But not only is God's love for us unconditional, the second thing I want you to note on your outlines is that God offers his restoring grace to us because our salvation isn't based on performance. Our salvation is not based upon performance. You see, our salvation is based upon God's grace, not upon our goodness. 
I could never be good enough to earn God's forgiveness. But God offers his forgiveness to you and me freely every single day. That's what God does. That's what his love is all about. The Bible goes on to tell us in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, least anyone should boast. You see, you can't earn your way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. You can't bribe your way to heaven. You can't steal your way to heaven. You can't cheat your way to heaven. You can't lie your way into heaven. The only way to get into heaven is by the grace of our Lord. That's the only way that we can get into heaven. And he says, I want to offer you that grace freely. Day in and day out, I will offer it to you if you will only accept it. I read an article about an instant cake mix that was a big flop. And this picture makes me hungry because it's close to lunch, so I'll try not to look at it. But there's a, I like reading food articles and anything that has to do with instant products automatically catches my attention because for those of us who are not skilled in culinary arts, the word instant is like a miraculously hit for all of us, right? You bake it and you're like, I made this. And the friend's like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, it was all me, right? So there was a story about this instant cake mix and the manufacturers, they put it all together, they packaged it pretty and they sold it to different markets and it went up on the stores. Well, over the period of a couple of months, they looked at their sales report and they were at a 0% sales return, 0%. So the company is like, this isn't good. We're not making any money off of this cake. Why are we not making this money? So they sent researchers out to the different markets and they had them stand on the, the baking aisle and they were watching as people would choose between the instant cake mix or the other cake mix. And when they chose the other cake mix, they would approach them and say, hey, just out of curiosity, why are you choosing that mix over the other? And a resounding response came back from people. And the people said, we don't like the idea of instant. Just add water. Because I don't know what else is inside this cake mix. What if I'm allergic? What if I have allergies? I don't know what you're putting in this, so I don't trust it. So they pulled it from the shelves and they went back to the research team and they brainstormed and they remarketed. And then they go back like, we've got it solved. We're just gonna add one simple phrase to the box's slogan that's gonna completely change everything. You know what that phrase was? Just add water and one egg. And they put it on their shelves and it sold immediately. It sold like wildfire. Their sales jumped drastically. And I just saw this, I'm like, this is ridiculous. When you think about it, it's just an egg, like, oh, an egg makes so much of a difference, right? It's, to some people, it was the difference between purchasing this product like life and death and not eating cake, which is pretty much life and death. But when you look at it, it, this article, it reminds me of how some people react to the plan of salvation. But they say, oh, this is too good to be true. It can't be instant salvation. There's gotta be something more to it. And this is why in Ephesians, as we just read, it said, by grace, you have been saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works. It's the gift of God. You see, people feel that there's something more that they have to add to the recipe of God's salvation. Oh, I've got to do this work. I've got to do this deed. Or I've got to do these things in order to earn God's favor, to earn his forgiveness, to earn eternal life. But that's not the case. The Bible makes it very clear as we look at Titus 3, 5. It says, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. You see, unlike this cake manufacturer, God has not changed his formula to make salvation more marketable. The gospel that we proclaim, the gospel that we preach must be free of works. There's no strings attached. It's instant. God says, if you believe me, I will restore you. I will clean you. I will fix you. I will make you new and give you this grace. I will give you 
forgiveness if you just believe. See, if you don't get into heaven by the grace of God, it's gonna be difficult to get there. It's the only way that we get into heaven. And so we must understand that God doesn't reject us when we sin. God doesn't reject us. He loves us. And he says, I want to restore you. I want to offer my grace upon you. If you will just accept it and you will just believe. You see, our salvation isn't based upon our performance. Our salvation isn't based upon the good works I do to clean myself up. No, our salvation is based upon what Christ has done to clean us up. What Christ has done to set us anew, to set us fresh and to set us free. But not is his love for us just unconditional, not is our salvation just on performance. But the third thing is that God offers his restoring grace to us because Jesus has already taken our punishment. If you're a believer in Christ, your sins have been dealt with. It's as easy as that. Your sins have already been dealt with. God doesn't ignore them. God doesn't just sweep them under the rug. God doesn't just wipe them away, forget about them, hide them away. No, God says, I sent my son to deal with your sins. I sent the ultimate sacrifice to take your place so you should live. God wants to deal with these because of his grace. You see, Jesus paid this punishment for my sins and for your sins. And because of this, God doesn't reject us when we sin. God says, no, I want to offer you my restoring grace again and again and again and again. Jesus has already taken the punishment for our sins. You see, in America, we have this law, and it's called the law of double jeopardy. And it says this, you cannot be tried, you cannot be convicted or punished the same, for the same crime twice. And I think that we as Christians, we need to understand that this is the same philosophy that God holds us accountable to. He says, I have already paid for your sins, so I do not charge you. I will not punish you. I will not try you for your same sins twice. They have been forgiven. They have been forgotten. They have been eliminated. You are set free. Don't let them hold you back anymore. Don't let them weigh you down. Why hold on to something that has already been paid for that doesn't have control over your life anymore? You have already been set free. Your punishment has already been dealt with by somebody else. Go and live your life. Go and spread the word of God. See, Jesus, when he was upon the cross, he stretched out his arms and he took the punishment for my sin and for your sins. And he suffered and he died so that way we might be able to live. And he took our conviction. He served our sentence and he was punished because of you and he was punished because of me. And the Bible in the book of Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death. You see, someone had to suffer. Someone had to die. Someone had to be punished in order that we might live. And God didn't say, oh, I choose you. You get to do it. No, he says, I'm gonna send my son to deal with this. And so he sent his son to die upon the cross so we, we may live. Someone had to pay for our sins and Jesus fulfilled that. What kind of sins did he die for? All of them. All the sins that I have committed, all the sins I committed in my past, all the sins I'll commit today, all the sins I'll commit in my future. You see, God says that all of your sins have been paid for. All of your sins have been taken care of. The past, the present, and the future, they no longer exist in my eyes. When God forgives us, he forgives us completely. Now, this doesn't mean that we can keep going on saying, woo, party, I can keep sinning because God's just gonna forgive me. No, just as Jesus told the Samaritan woman, he says, go and sin no more. He calls us to do likewise. He says, I have freed you. I have set you free from the captivity of sin. So go and live your life as you were created to do. Not a life of sin, but in a life of freedom because I've already taken that punishment from you. Jesus cried out upon the cross, it is finished. You see, my sins have been paid for. 
when Jesus died upon the cross, he shed his blood, giving the ultimate cost to pay for our sins, to pay for your sins, to pay for my sins. Because of this, God's restoring grace flows upon each and every one of us. Not because of the things that I have done, but because of the things that Christ did upon the cross. That is his restoring grace. You see, God, he cleans me up every single time that I fall. And even though I pray and I try my best not to fall, it's part of my nature to fall again and again and again. But God offers his restoring grace and he says, you know what? You're gonna continue to fall, but I'm always gonna be right by your side to pick you up, to clean you up, and to put you back on track. I wanna offer my restoring grace to you again and again because our God is merciful and our God is gracious and his love for us is never ending. There's a story about a boy named Kyle. And Kyle, uh, he was very used to riding a, a bicycle with uh, training wheels. And he had grown up and he had mastered riding his bike with training wheels. And he was finally ready to venture out into the two-wheel dimension. And so even though it was not Harley Davidson, his blue chrome bike with his beautiful handlebars, uh, it gave him enough excitement and exhilaration to truly enjoy having a bike. So he got on his bike and after a few close encounters with the neighbor's mailbox or hopping off the curb or some wobbly hands, he started to get the hang of it. And before he knew it, his dad recognized that their little cul-de-sac had become his son's own little personal speedway. And he sat there watching his son go faster and faster and faster again and again and again, making loops around the neighborhood. And the dad's sitting there and he's thinking to himself, he's like, this is great, but I wonder if he's ever going to stop. Like, at what point is he going to tire out? You know, we have dinner, we have different things that we got to do. Will he ever stop? And as he's sitting there thinking about how to approach this concept, and he's watching his son Kyle go around, he notices the expression in Kyle's face drastically change. It went from a face of excitement and exhilaration to a face of panic and anxiety. And so he's sitting thinking, oh, something must be wrong. So he gets ready to go and approach Kyle to find out what's going on. And Kyle swerves off of the cul-de-sac, up the curb, through the grass, runs into the bush, hits the house, and tumbles off to the side. And so his dad runs over and he says, Kyle, what happened? And Kyle looks up and says, Dad, I forgot how to stop. And I like this story because I think this is how a lot of us are living our lives. We live our lives like Kyle's first two-wheel bike ride. You see, we get so hooked on this fast pace of life where we keep going again faster and faster and faster. And we think that we're in control. And then something happens. We hit a speed bump. We hit a rock. Something happens in our lives that causes us to lose our confidence. Well, we start to get uneasy with the way things are going. And God calls out and he says, hey, I'm here to help you if you'll let me. But we say, no, God, I don't need you. I know how to ride this bike on my own. So we keep pedaling faster and faster and faster because we believe the faster we pedal through life, the faster we'll get through the tough times. And eventually we keep going until we hit a wall or we burn out and we crash. And we're there lying on the floor in pain and God's approaching us. We say, God, I don't need you. God, I don't want you. I know how to get myself up. I know how to get back on the bike. It's okay. I don't need you. And then we realize like our leg is like back over here and it's broken. But we start to see the desperateness of our situation. And we finally call out to God. And even though God should be like, I offered you help three times and you denied it. He doesn't. God still says he walks over. He picks us up. He heals our wounds completely. He brushes us off. He puts us back on that bike of life and teaches us how to safely ride once again because that's what God's restoring grace is all about. It doesn't matter how many times we turn against him, how many times we reject him, how many times we leave him and say, God, I don't want you. He always comes back to us again and again and again to offer his restoring grace. 
See, God gives his restoring grace to each and every one of us and praise the Lord for that. But not only has Jesus just served and taken my punishment, the fourth point is this, that God offers his restoring grace to us because Jesus understands our human weakness. Jesus understands our human weakness. See, Jesus is sympathetic. Jesus knows what we've gone through. Jesus knows my frailties. He knows my faults. He knows my tics. He knows how I'm wired. And he doesn't judge me because of them. See, Jesus, he became human in order that he could sympathize with other humans. Looking over at uh, John chapter one, verses one through 14, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and full of truth. See, one of the most beautiful truths that you need to know this morning as a Christian is that God understands what you're going through. No matter what it is that you're facing in your life this morning, what it is that's holding you back, God truly, fully, wholeheartedly understands what you're going through. You see, we read that Jesus, he knows our weaknesses. He knows the thoughts that are racing through our minds. He knows what we're thinking about right now as we're sitting in this church. He says, I know because I've been there. I came to earth. I took on flesh. I took on the weaknesses of mankind so I could sympathize, so I could relate to you. There isn't a sin. There isn't a temptation. There isn't a trial that I haven't dealt with that you're going to go through. And because of this, he offers us grace. He says, I know what it's like to be tried. I know what it's like to be tempted. I know what it's like to feel like you're broken and you have nowhere else to go. But because of this, I recognize the weaknesses of your human nature. And I want to offer you my restoring grace. I want to offer you another chance at life to live how you truly are supposed to live. He will restore us with his restoring grace. See, no matter what it is that you're facing this morning, whether it be a bitter fight, a breakup, a divorce, maybe it's a loss of a job, maybe it's a promotion, maybe it's a demotion, a change in status, maybe it's financial issues, maybe it's a bankruptcy, maybe it's foreclosure. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a death. Whatever it is that's going through your mind this morning, God wants you to know that you're not alone, that you're not supposed to be alone, that God is there with you. It says God is by your side and he will always be by your side. No matter what it is that you're facing, he wants to be there. He wants to help. He wants to partner with you and offer you his restoring grace. He says, I want you to be happy. I want you to live this life the way that you were intended to live it. And if you take my restoring grace, that's a great step. That's going to start to make you clean. That's going to start to make you fresh. It's going to fix the broken parts of your life that you don't know how to correct. And we're supposed to pray and cry out to God to offer his restoring grace to us again and again and again. And he knows what we're going through and he wants to help us. And that's why offering to us his restoring grace. The last point I want to look at this morning is that God offers his restoring grace to us because God doesn't hold on to grudges. And I know we've covered that one already in this series, but it's so important for us to understand this, that God does not hold on to grudges. See, many people hold on to grudges against people. How can I say that? Well, because there are people that I hold grudges against. And if I'm being perfectly honest with myself and honest with you, sometimes there are things that I have a hard time letting go, things that I have a hard time forgetting because it's my nature. But that's not the same way that it is with God. Look what it says about the characteristic of God. It says, as far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You see, God is in the forgiving business. He says, as far as the east is from the west, I have removed your sins from you. I have removed the transgressions from you. God removes our sins from our lives. And when he forgives, he forgets. 
God says, I don't hold you accountable to those sins anymore. They don't exist in your life. You are a new creation in me. How amazing is that? I know my sins. You know your sins. They haunt us. They hold us back from truly realizing the potential of what God wants to do with our futures. They weigh us down. But God says that I have forgiven you and I have forgiven you fully. I've forgiven you completely. Those sins aren't even a part of your story anymore. Why are you letting them hold you back? See, God's character is different than ours. We have a hard time letting things go. We hold grudges. We hold bitterness and anger inside of us. But God's not the same way. God says, I forgive. I forget. I'm not gonna hold grudges against you if you turn away from me. If you walk away from me, I'm gonna still love you again and again and again. God forgives us to the fullest. We see this in the very nature of Jesus's character. See, Peter, he approached Jesus and he said, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother or my sister who has hurt me? Should I forgive them seven times? And Jesus says, seven times? Hardly. No, forgive them 70 times seven. You see, if this is the same advice that Jesus gave to Peter, don't you think that's the same characteristic that he would extend to us as well? To forgive over and over and over and over again. That no matter what we're dealing with in our life, no matter how bad we think that we have strayed away from God, that he is going to reach out, forgive us, clean us, and pick us up and set us right again and again and again. Because that's the nature of the God that we serve. This is even seen further in the character of Jesus when he was upon the cross and the crowds were looking at him. They were mocking him. They were insulting him. They were spitting on him. They were yelling accusative things towards him. Jesus looked out and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, the very essence of the character of Jesus Christ is forgiveness. And he wants to offer that forgiveness to each and every one of you this morning, no matter what you're dealing with in your life. That forgiveness is there for all of us. When we let God down, he forgives us over and over again because God is in this forgiving business. See, this is what God's restoring grace is all about. He takes us back. He cleans us up. He loves me and he loves you too. God's love is unconditional. God doesn't judge my sins. My sins have been paid for. God doesn't hold a grudge, but he continues to offer me mercy and grace day in and day out, even when I still sin against him. No matter what I do, God is always there to pick me back up and set me back right and to heal my broken heart. He forgives us over and over again because God is in this forgiving business, because God offers us a restoring grace in our lives. As we close out this morning, I'd like to ask you all to close your eyes. I just want to ask a couple questions to get you just to think about where you are with God right now in your lives. Has there ever been a time in your life when you have felt closer to God than you do right now? When you had a spiritual high, so to speak. You just felt so connected, so in tune with the word of God. But right now, you just seem empty. Seems like God is missing. What happened? Why'd you slip away? What got in the way? Was it a career? A relationship, a hobby, a TV show? Has your relationship with God gotten stale? When you think about it, are you just going through the motions this morning as a Christian, just calling yourself a Christian but not living the life as a Christian? 
When's the last time that you read your Bible on your own? Not because you had to in church, but because it was on your heart that you wanted to read the word of God. When's the last time that you shared the word of God with your neighbors and the people around you? Are you too ashamed of your relationship with Christ because of the things that you've done in your past? You think there's no way God would want to use me anymore. There's no way God would want to speak to my heart. But I want you all to know this morning that that is not the case. God wants to offer his restoring grace to each and every one of you, that no matter what it is that you feel is holding you back this morning, that God wants to clean you. He wants to fix you. He wants to mend the broken parts that exist in your life. He wants to heal you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to know that he is there by your side no matter what it is that you're going through. Father, I know that there are people here who have been fighting a civil war in their minds. They know the right thing to do, but they just, they've been fighting it. They know what's supposed to do, but they've lost that spark and they're ashamed. God, there's some who are filled with deep regret from the things that they've done, the things that hold them back. They're too afraid to return back to you once again. God, I pray that you just help us experience the freedom of your restoring grace in our lives. Jesus, we've wandered away and our hearts grow cold and distant to our level of commitment to you is not like it used to be. But thank you, God, for your unconditional love. I thank you that you've never stopped loving us, that you don't hold grudges against us or get angry with us. God, we ask that you take us back this morning. Lord, we come running to you, your open, your loving arms to follow you by grace. Lord, that we understand your restoring grace and what it is that you want to fix in our lives. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for sympathizing with our weaknesses and that you still love us even more, no matter how far we turn away from you, God, you still love us. Help us to see your love and your grace restored into us, not just this morning, for the rest of our lives. God, fill us with your presence. Heal us, clean us, and restore us to your kingdom. We love you, God, and we give this all to you in your name. Amen.